a few weeks ago, I began my mini-series on how your adult life may be affected by bullying. Yep. Bullying. That's right. Go back to the episode entitled number 18, Mindset, When Parents Get Bullied for Having Children with Special Needs. That's the start of this mini-series about bullying. If you're a parent of a child with special needs, feeding challenges, or even significant food allergies, you might get bullied at the workplace too. You have an increased chance of being bullied in the workplace. So listen up. We're going to discuss bullying in all of its glory. Oh, did I just write glory? 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 Hmm. What's so glorious about bullying? Can't think of it right now? Me either. Hi, I'm Dr. Evka, the mom at the playgroup who's in charge of the food and the lecture series. Empowering other mothers when something seems off with their children. Sharing mindset work when it comes to motherhood, medicine made understandable, and mastery of your child and who that child is when they have food intolerances, feeding challenges, or other of your concerns. You've heard that I'm a family doctor, a feeding physician, a life coach, a nutritionist, and a best-selling author. But if you ask me, I will tell you, I'm another mom just like you, and I'm your friend. Just remember that this information is being shared for educational purposes only and some of it's opinion-based. If you have a specific medical concerns, please see your regular doctor. That's not me. Now, before I delve into the ways in which parents are bullied, I want to take a moment to explain what bullying is in the context of your job at work. Bullying is offensive, insulting, malicious behavior or misuse of power in a way that weakens or shames the person who is being bullied. Got it? Based upon what I just wrote about bullying, do you understand exactly what bullying is? Perhaps you do. Or perhaps what wording seems a bit abstract. I want to discuss bullying by sharing stories. Okay, so let me discuss a true story about how bullying happened to a parent of a child with special needs in the workforce. Actually, let's talk about it first in terms of two people. Let's talk about conversation that two people had with the same boss. The boss told both of them, You know what? I don't think that you're working as hard as everyone else. You are not working as many overtime hours. You seem to be more lazy than your coworkers and more unmotivated. I need you to change that. So if two people heard this, what might they think? If two people heard this, they might have very different perspectives. And let's discuss those. The first person might think, Oh, well, the boss is right. I'm probably not working as many overtime hours as some of my colleagues. I guess that everyone is entitled to an opinion. And I guess the boss isn't calling me lazy in that movie, David. He just is calling out my behavior as lazy and unmotivated. 
my boss is just saying that I seem lazy. Not that I am lazy. I just seem that way. And I can kind of understand why my behavior might come off that way. I have to take care of my child, and I'm not able to work as many overtime hours as some of my colleagues. Let's call this person Mary. She does not seem as bothered by what could be considered to be bullying. Now let's talk about another person. Let's call her Betsy. Betsy might hear the same thing being told by her boss, and she might think, The boss is insulting me! They said I'm lazy. Why are they mentioning this? Are they basically telling me that I need to work more overtime hours? Or otherwise I may lose my job? <gasps> How is that even fair? When I signed up for this job, I agreed to work 20, 35, or 40 hours a week. Not 60, 70, or 80 hours a week. Why is my boss calling me out on stuff that isn't part of my job description? Especially when my boss knows that I need to take care of my child too, and I just work all the time. My child has special needs, and I need to be there for my child as well. Now, if Mary and Betsy work for the same company, and they're both told the same exact thing by their bosses, what happens then? Betsy might confide with Mary regarding what just happened, and Mary might say, This is not strange. I thought that I was the only one who was being told this by my boss. Then they might delve further into this conversation. Betsy might say, I felt bullied by our boss. Mary might say, Well, it didn't quite feel like bullying to me. Remember, Mary's the one who was saying, well, it's really not my boss saying about how terrible I am as a person. I know I'm a wonderful person. It's just that the boss thinks that this particular situation, I just seem lazy, even though he might be threatening my job with it. Anyway, for Mary to tell Betsy that it didn't appear like bullying to her, it's going to do wonders to her self-esteem. Okay, not. It's not. That's gonna bring not going to bring much comfort to Betsy at all. She might start to doubt herself. She might think, You know, what if Mary's right? What if bully did just happen? What if it's my fault? What if I'm the one who takes things so personally? This kind of thought pattern can lead to a plunge in Betsy's self-esteem. Okay. Let's say that Mary and Betsy don't work for the same company. Maybe they have different bosses, but they are still told the same thing. Perhaps Mary and Betsy are friends, and they discuss this with different bosses at work, but they get together. Like, they, Mary and Betsy get together someplace, maybe now in COVID-19 style, because they're in the middle of a pandemic, so they're doing it in a socially distanced way. But the friends, Mary and Betsy, talk about their work when they get together. And then as the conversation may go something like this. Mary. The other day, my boss told me something unexpected. Betsy. Oh, really? My boss told me something unexpected, too. Wasn't your boss telling you? Mary. 
They told me that I was working as much overtime as the other employees. I kind of agree. Betsy. Wait a second. I was told the same thing too, but to me, it felt like it was bullying. Like It felt like I was being bullied. Mary. To me, it felt like my boss was just sharing his opinions. The conversation didn't seem that threatening. What do you mean? Betsy. Well, you know, the way that my boss said it, he seemed to call me lazy when nothing could be further from the truth. I do the best I can at my job. I'm trying to give my job 110% when I'm there. Yet when I get home, I have to take care of my child. I'm expected to do all these therapies with my child, plus all this other stuff, also all these therapies with my child. We're working on feeding, plus my child has food allergies. And just figuring out how to feed the whole family is hard. I'm working so hard at being a good mom when I'm home. And Mary. Gosh. That sounds so hard. Can you tell me exactly what the boss said to you? Like, word for word? And Betsy. Well, I didn't exactly write it down. Mary. Oh, that's too bad. I would have loved to have seen exactly what was said. Many times, bullying in the workforce happens verbally. It doesn't happen in writing. If you hear something and don't have it in writing, you might be more likely to have other people ask you, What actually happened? It's almost as if they doubt you. If they doubt you, you might be more likely to doubt yourself. You might ask yourself, Is that really what happened? Perhaps I heard something different and I just mistook it for bullying. That thought pattern further places blame on the victim as opposed to the bully. This tends to be the pattern in workplace bullying. Bullies can bully you in such a way that you doubt yourself. Instead of being upset or angry over the bully, you might start to wonder, is it me? Yet, by doubting yourself, you are further decreasing your own self-esteem. You are further diminishing your sense of worth. When people keep telling you, you're lazy, you're not going to pull in your weight, you're not doing what you're supposed to at work, you might eventually start to believe them. You might start feeling like you're not good enough. You don't belong. Perhaps you don't deserve this job. It's as if someone else's benevolence is the reason why you still have the job because you're just not worthy. You start selling yourself short when look at you, the parent who's struggling at all. You are doing the best you can at work. You can then go home. And guess what you get to do at home? You get to do more work. The huge job of parenting, that job may not be all that easy. It may require doing therapy with your child, spending hours feeding your child, spending days being concerned about food allergies and so on. To be where you are right now requires a strong worth ethic. You are loved. You are strong. And that bullying, it's so unfair to you. For a commercial interruption, I am creating freebies. 
for this podcast. And one of those freebies is going to be all about bullying. So in the next few days, look for a booklet about bullying. It's going to be part of my bullying mini series. For instance, in episode number 24, which by the way, we're listening to right now. Listen up, trust yourself. If you think that you have been bullied, then don't brush through it and think, oh, well, it didn't happen. If you think that you have been bullied, tell yourself, I think I have been bullied. Then get yourself even more familiar with bullying is. Listen up, my friends. If you can answer yes to any of the following questions, then you might have actually been bullied. No, it wasn't all in your head. If you can answer yes to these questions, then take that as a sign of potential bullying behavior. For workplace bullying, this would be in the workplace setting. Okay, so are you ready for these questions? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of questions, and if you answer yes to any of them, think, hmm, bullying? Was this bullying? So number one, were rumors spread about you? Number two, were you insulted? Number three, were you unreasonably excluded? Number four, were you criticized without justification and without a solution? Number five, were you deliberately prevented from moving forward through the company's promotional paths? Number six, were you undermined? And this could have occurred either in front of your colleagues or in secret. Number seven, does someone take credit for your work? Number eight, does someone blame you for their shortcomings? Number nine, does someone withhold necessary information from you to the point that this made it difficult for you to do your job in an effective manner? Number 10, were you denied training opportunities? Number 11, were you given a heavier workload as everyone else hopes that it would make your job harder for you and you'd feel like you were a failure? If you answered yes to even one of these questions, then you might have been bullied. If this is at work, then you have, may have been bullied at work. It is okay to trust your feelings in, and your instincts about being bullied. And if you think you have been bullied, you might have been. Now, some of you may have some difficulty completing this exercise and going through those uh, 11 questions. So the 11 questions are available to you in two other places. First, on my Dr. Evcott website, the website of the feeding physicians. So that's one place you can look for them um, under this episode marked um, number 24. The other place where you can look through them is through my freebie, which will be attached to the podcast. And uh, you'll have even more information about bullying and how you can go through these uh, questions. So go ahead, check it out. It's a pretty cool theory, at least I think so. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. Now, what should you do? What are your options if you think that you have been bullied? Well, you can tell your boss that you've been bullied. Unless, of course, the boss is the bully. You can tell the person above your boss if you think that your boss is partaking in bullying behavior. If your boss has anti-bullying campaigns as part of its workplace culture, you could talk to those individuals who help to run these campaigns. Perhaps they will be someone in human resources. If there's information about bullying in the employee handbook, you could follow some of the directions that it gives you. 
Yeah. What if the bullying is your boss? And what if you work in a small office? What if there's nobody else to turn to? It's you, your boss, and perhaps some other healthcare personnel in the same office or in whatever other office you happen to work at. What if you feel like talking to your boss won't resolve things because uh, they are part of what's contributing to the bullying? What if you feel like there's nowhere that you can turn to, but you've been bullied? At that stage, you might need to file a formal complaint. If you're part of a bigger company, a formal complaint might be filed with human resources. If you're just part of a small company, then that complaint could be filed with a licensing board. You could also reach out to anti-bullying organizations to see if they could help. Also, look into the difference between legal harassment and bullying because illegal harassment might be more punishable under law. In the United States, certain states have passed legislation to address bullying in the workplace, but this legislation might only apply to certain categories of workers. For instance, the Tennessee Workplace Act helps prevent bullying companies run by the government. But if in Tennessee, your company is not run by the government, uh, the laws might not apply. However, many states do not have formal procedures in place to discourage bullying. However, these laws don't apply to everyone. However, Melu states have laws preventing workers from illegal harassment based upon their religion, national origin, or race. And to discuss this, and to discuss for bullying further, I've actually brought on an expert in the field. His name is Dr. Adam Harrison. He's a lawyer who was previously a physician, and he's going to discuss a true scenario that I'm going to discuss with him. Adam Harrison, you think that you're going to have it easy on this podcast, but you're not. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for um, finding this an important topic to talk about, because there's not really a lot of discussion about how the parents of children with special needs or with feeding challenges or with food allergies can then themselves get bullied. So I thought that was such an important topic. And I wanted to start off if possible, by discussing an actual case with you, like an actual thing that happened, and kind of get your intake or your opinion of what you think is going on. So, Imagine yourself in this situation. On paper, you signed up to work 40 hours at your job. In reality, you're expected to work 70 hours, but no one told you about these extra 30 hours of unpaid work. When you say that you can't work those many extra hours because you need to care for your child with special needs, you are told that it looks like you don't want to work there. You're told that other doctors whose children have special needs were able to work those extra hours just fine. You're asked, what's wrong with you? Why are you lazy? Your boss threatens to fire you because you are not working the hours that aren't even in your contract, but your boss threatens to fire you for not working and pulling your own weight in the office. And you have a non-compete clause, which basically means that you cannot work somewhere else within like a large mile of vicinity within a certain number of years. 
So if you lose your job, you will basically be forced to leave the area and your child's great special needs school. That's if you lose your job. Now, you might think that this doesn't actually happen, but it does. Many doctors are asked to work way more hours than they actually signed up for on paper. And it might just not be doctors. I'm sure there's a lot of different professions where what on paper you work and what you actually work in reality are very different. There's a job that requires you to work a lot. Anyway, what would you do in this situation, Dr. Adam Harrison, the physician turned lawyer? Let's talk about this. We really do need to have conversations about this bullying aspect because it's hard. Yeah, and it's hard for the, the parents. I know one of your interests is in medical professionals and how medical professionals are bullied. And gosh, are they bullied if one of their children has special needs and they need to take care of that child too while maintaining being a doctor because they want to continue being doctors. That's just a good question before you do anything else. Just take a step back and calm yourself down. Go home, sleep on it. Don't do anything rash. You need to take stock. You need to go home, calm down, process everything fully, and then come up with a plan when you're calmer. Keep things factual. Don't let your emotions come into it. And I, and I also thought, don't, don't try and put too much of it onto the child. Don't try and make the reason that you can't be at work so much too much about your child because even though you have a child with special needs, people just get a little bit shirty, I think. It's what makes your child more special than my child. I have children too. I, want, I don't want to be at work as well. Do you know what I mean? And people get a bit like, stop, being, stop using these things as an excuse. Do you know what I mean? And so... Um, we and, and also, let's be fair, like, we all have children. We all want to spend as much time as we can with our children. If I was working 30 hours a week unpaid, just because my children don't have special needs, thank God, doesn't mean my child is less worthy of my time than someone else's child with special needs is worthy of their time. Does that make sense? So if you make it about the child, I think it gets people a bit, like, it gets their back up a little bit more, if that makes sense. I think it has more to do with therapies. So some families need their children to get therapies. And it's not like yeah, the yeah. therapists are at their beck and call. So they're already expected to work a lot. But now, yeah. like, if the therapist says, I only have available on Tuesdays at 2 o'clock, and that's the only time I have available, and the next therapist is an hour away. You're going to be like, I guess I have to make it to that therapy appointment. Well, you do want to spend more time with your child, but you're not doing it just because of yeah. that. You're doing that because there's a real yeah. medical need and somebody has to take them to the therapy appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you come out of the situation, you calm down, you think about it, you come up with what you want to say, and then you go back and talk about it very calmly, very factually. This, this is my situation. These are the appointments that we have to go to just bringing emotions into these things just heightens everything and makes it the more potential for conflict to to come up you know there's a framework that that might be useful for them to think about how to tackle these situations which is the Bokka framework have you heard of the Bokka tell me more I'm definitely interested behavior outcome consequences and action and there are a hundred frameworks this is just one that I, I think is quite useful what was the behavior so what was the behavior was how your boss was to you and what they said to you during that initial discussion 
the first thing to do is why did they behave like that? Try and think about why they behave like that. What is behind the way they spoke to you? Why did they say those things? If they have got some of their own stress going on in their life, going through a divorce or they're going bankrupt or something bad is happening in their lives that you happen to know about because they're your boss and you've heard the you know, kind of rumours or something like that. Or maybe they have an illness of their own or mental illness or something like that. Or they've just had a bad day because they had a row with their partner. If you know of some things that may explain why they were so unpleasant to you, it just depersonalizes it. So it makes it not about you. It's their issue. They're not getting at me personally. So you sort of take it less personally. There may not be any of those things going on. There may just be a complete, you know, uh, but if there's something that you know is going on, I'll try and keep my, la- I'll try and temper my language during the gym. Um, Don't worry, I'll just beep it out. Be, Don't worry. <laughs> that, that can be very powerful if you know about something like that. Anyway, the outcome is how that made you feel. So when you speak to them, you say, this happened, these are the facts. This is how that made me feel. Because there are some people that it wouldn't even occur to them when you tell them, it's like, oh, I can see how that would make you feel upset or sad or scared or, you know, angry or whatever. Now, you know, now we're talking about it. Now you say that. Yeah, you're right. Um, sorry about that. I shouldn't, I didn't mean to make you feel like that. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. You know, it just actually reflecting it back onto them can just give them a moment obviously if they're a malignant narcissist they're not going to give it <laughs> but most people are not malignant narcissists and most people don't go out of their way to be that unkind let's face it maybe not running the company but they, if they're the medical director or they're in charge of all the doctors they have a service to provide they're getting it in the neck from their seniors about the kpis that they're not hitting if there aren't enough doctors around so they're just getting a lot of stress and you saying to them, I can't do these extra hours is like the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then you, know the, you become the scapegoat. You become the yeah, scapegoat yeah. because you're the exactly. one. But they, yeah, but they're probably not, probably not generally a bad person. They have a service to run. They need people at work and they're getting it in the, in the neck from the accountants in the company or whatever, you know, the ones that care about the bottom line. So then the consequences, the C from Boca, what are the consequences of how you've been made to feel especially if your boss is unrepentant so you either comply with your boss and somehow you manage to do those hours uh, or you resign and this is a really difficult situation because there's that non-compete clause and the child's really great school is in the area you don't want to have to leave but equally you can't do this hours. so it's is there some sort of compromise to be had maybe agree with your boss if they're happy to listen that you you do extra hours but you do them at you know different times so you work a bit more flexibly for example so you can make it to your appointments but you're also giving your boss what he wants let's face it it's a lot easier for your boss to to keep you and for you to do more hours but to do it around your other commitments than it is for them to advertise and interview and go through the whole recruitment process for somebody new that's costly and it's a lot of hassle and time for them. So it's easier for the boss if they can just keep you. Mm-hmm. You just said you have to work on restoring the relationship. And mm-hmm. as a mom, even as a physician mom, mm-hmm. you still have to set certain priorities. And for a lot of us, our priorities are still our children. And yeah. you know, there's no yeah. perfect answer so, here. So, so, so some things you have to, 
think about what are your non-negotiables, what things you can be flexible on. And it's the same from the employer's side as well, isn't it? They have to have, they will have non-negotiables and they will have things they can be flexible on. But on the face of the scenario, it looks like the boss is completely inflexible, but this is before you've gone back to them and calmly and rationally explained the situation that you're in and asked for some understanding, basically. Yeah. I would always put it back onto them as well. If they say to you, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's how I made you feel, I didn't mean to do that, I was just stressed, I've got a head office breathing down my neck about the service, then I understand you're having a, a hard time too. How do you think we can move forward? What would you do? What would you ask you if you were in my shoes? Can you suggest a way forward that, that makes us satisfied? And then obviously you come up with your plans. People can hopefully take away from that, not to go at it like a bull in a china shop and just start shouting and screaming there and then go away from the situation, calm yourself down and then come back and start again. And it will give them a framework to, to think about things the night before they're meeting their, their manager. I'm guessing this is a fairly common situation as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Especially in the United States, there's two things going on in, in the, the scenario. The first is that you sign a contract to work a certain number of hours, and then you're expected to work all these extra hours, like maybe double the amount unpaid. It was never part of your contract. However, that's part of the reason why when you sign these contracts, they have these non-compete clauses. Once you get into what you didn't think you were going to get into, now you're stuck because you can't work somewhere else. It's, it's a little frustrating. That whole system can be a little bit of a bully towards medical professionals that are in it. In the UK, they don't have that because it's not a private system. But what they will do is, what you, certainly what your medical bosses will do is they just won't write you a good reference for your next job. Or say you're an attending and you want to move to be an attending somewhere else, your employers would not give you a good reference to get another job, essentially. So they would have you over a barrel, but in a different way. Yeah. It sounds like you need to get those references in order to get a good yeah. future job. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. But yeah. it's hard either way. Here we have private practices. A physician can just work on their own and start their own practice. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. it's harder to start your own practice in many fields than it was yeah. before. It's yeah. becoming more and yeah. more expensive to, to just operate a medical office, even before you pay yourself. Yeah. You've got to pay all the costs on your own, haven't you? You've got to pay the lighting and the electricity and the water and your reception staff and everything comes to you, doesn't it? You, yeah. you have to pay everything yourself if you're on your own. It's a lot more economically viable to group together. Yeah, you've just pointed out some really useful stuff to me. So that's why it's quite a good discussion. That's now, some of you may not be that interested in the play of doctors because you think, oh, well, doctors make a ton of money and they probably have the resources to be able to figure this out and they chose to be doctors anyway. But this kind of a situation can apply to many other professionals, a lot of other professional working parents. You do not know what their situation is like unless you're living it. Or if you are living this and this episode really resonates to you, please let me know. Comment in the podcast section, write a review on my podcast, and that way more people can listen to it. And we can discuss this topic even more in the next part of this mini-series. I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Dr. Adam Harrison in case you want to reach out to him. 
And then I also want to share that this is hard. Not everybody is in a financial situation where one parent can stay home and take care of children. And not everybody is in a financial situation where they can hire someone to help them. And you have situations where you're expected to work a lot at your job. If you don't work a lot, it's frowned upon. You may be worried about getting fired. And at the same time, at home, you're expected to do a lot of therapy for your child to perhaps take them to therapy. And if you're not taking them to therapy, um, then during those times, continue doing the same therapy so that they give as much benefit as they can. It's a hard situation to be in, I feel for you. And we'll discuss it more in a future episode. All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Dr. Evka podcast. If you like it, please review it. Five stars, good measure. Just go back to that screen on whatever device you were listening to and just review it. And that will get more people listening to it. Thank you again so much. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. The, the types of people that I, that I work with and, and want to work with who I can help, people who feel that they're being belittled by other people, be that their doctors or their, their bosses or their colleagues, people who are being made to feel inferior because yes. of the, the the situation that they're in and that's just, just so wrong but yeah so if anyone's listening and they are suffering from from any of those probably silently because they we don't want to admit to people that we're being bullied do we there's a stigma attached to it and you're in despair the, the kind of feeling that bullying creates just reach out to me and i'm confident that i can help you i use coaching techniques to help the problems that come as a result of being bullied yeah get in touch my contact details are my email is um dr.adamharrison at gmail.com so dr.adamharrison at gmail.com and i am on facebook uh facebook page which is um at coaching mentoring doctors but i don't just work with with doctors and i'm on linkedin as dr adam harrison look me up and get in touch be great to hear from you I'm going to